0: Ephesians chapter two. We'll be uh, studying together um, just a few portions of the passage we just read, focusing particularly on verse nineteen. On the twenty second of March, twenty twenty, something happened for the first time in perhaps hundreds of years on the island of Ireland, or to be more accurate, something didn't happen. Almost nobody attended a public service. Of Christian worship. Like every other part of our everyday lives, church life was completely changed almost overnight by COVID-19. We scrambled to get to grips with pre-recorded sermons. Nobody, nobody, well I certainly had never even thought of pre-recorded sermons before. Live stream equipment, live stream options, all these things. I'll never forget setting up a camera on a tripod on top of a big desk in Dervik meeting house, preaching my first pre recorded sermon on a Friday afternoon to an empty building. I think maybe our, our clerk of session was maybe there, but other than that, an empty building. All the while thinking in a few weeks' time we'll be back to normal. <laughs> Showed you how much I knew. It's been perhaps the most stressful, frustrating, difficult time for the church in our country for several decades. We haven't been persecuted, we we haven't lost our freedom to openly declare the gospel, but we really did lose, didn't we, our our rhythm, our sense of routine and familiarity as the local church, perhaps even more so in Dremor for you during the vacancy. And of course, the pandemic is not over yet, as we know. But my goal in this sermon series the next few weeks, in the midst of the ongoing uncertainty that we still live with, is to try to recalibrate and remind ourselves of what the church really is and why we should count it our greatest joy and privilege to be part of the church. The clue is in the name of this sermon series that we would love our church more. Over the next few weeks, we're going to consider seven great things, seven of the the benefits and blessings of being members of the local church. There are eight in the book. We're only going to cover seven. But the first great privilege of being part of the church, which is our theme for today, is belonging, belonging. We live in a world that is longing for belonging, longing for belonging. Uh, Well before the pandemic, our society has been full of people trying to find a place, a sense of community, uh, a sense of belonging. The word identity is the word, the buzzword that we hear all the time in our culture at the minute. It sums up what we're talking about here. People want to figure out their identity. Their identity gives them their sense of where they fit in the world. Whether that's a pub or a football stadium, an orange lodge, marching under the rainbow flag, those are all human efforts at forging identity and community. Something within every human being longs to belong. Uh, Tony Merida points out in his book that some of the most uh, popular TV shows of the last few decades have all been about communities of people. Uh, Some of you might remember the American sitcom Cheers that was on during the 80s, uh, set in a bar in Boston, and, and the theme song includes the lines where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. Sense of belonging. Or even more popular probably in more recent years in the 90s and early noughties was Friends. And again, the theme song really tells you all you need to know. I'll be there for you because you're there for me too. And without endorsing all the content of those programs, which we certainly do not, they speak, don't they, to the, the human longing for belonging. Those are idealized versions of community. But of course, no TV show or football team or social media interaction or anything else really completely satisfies our longing for belonging. Or, or none of them are adequate for, our, for this particular human need. Those are all man-made communities. And as such, some of the things I've mentioned, they have sinful aspects to them. Even the ones that don't, they have their limitations, they have their feelings. Maybe they're only open to certain types of people. But God has created a place for us to truly belong. A place that anyone can belong to regardless of ethnicity, background, gender, sporting interest or lack of interest, intelligence, giftedness or anything else. The church is the God-created community for us to belong to. The church is the ultimate place where God dwells with his people. Not in a particular building of bricks and mortar, but in a particular gathering of people. That's what the, word, the, the words in the Bible that are used, translated church, that's what the word church in our Bibles literally means, an assembly or a, or a gathering together of people. Whoever you are today, God gives you an open invitation through Jesus Christ to come and dwell in his assembly, his people, to worship him together and to witness for him together. And as we look here at Ephesians chapter 2, we want to think about the the creation of this community, uh, the Christian community, the church. We'll spend most of our time thinking about it, And then we'll finish more briefly thinking about the purpose of this Christian community. Let's think first of all about the creation of Christian community. Uh, Paul here, of course, is writing to the church in Ephesus. Uh, We thought about the city of Ephesus quite a bit earlier this year when we were studying the book of Revelation. You remember uh, the church in Ephesus was one of the ones that Jesus wrote to. Uh, Suffice to say that this was a church made up of Uh, of probably almost entirely non-jewish members there likely were some jewish members uh, but the majority of the the members of this church would have been gentiles gentile just means non-jewish and so as far as i'm aware we are all gentiles here this morning Uh, non-jewish people men and women and boys and girls who were not biological descendants of Abraham, who had never been to Jerusalem and had not grown up observing the Jewish religion. And Paul is eager to reassure these Gentile Christians that they belong in God's family just as much as as Jewish Christians do. Uh, Again, as I say, verse 19 is in many ways the key verse. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household or another word would be family of God. So, boys and girls, that's the verse on your sheet today. Members of the family of God. Paul is saying to them, regardless of who you are, where you came from, by faith in Jesus, you belong in God's family. This wasn't always the case. For these Gentiles. They did not always belong. And maybe some of you here today or listening on the live stream do not yet belong in God's family. But Paul here shows us how we can. He describes for us the creation of Christian community. And so first of all, he tells us what we were without Christ, what we were without Christ. Look at Ephesians 2 verse 12. Remember that you, again speaking primarily to Gentile Christians, remember that you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul is using very powerful pictures here to emphasize to the Gentiles that previously they did not belong to God. They had no place among the people of God. They weren't children of Abraham. They hadn't received God's special promises for their particular nation. The men did not have the covenant sign of circumcision on their bodies. And so Paul says they were separated, they were strangers, they were aliens. We don't get up in the morning worrying about our citizenship and how we will get on with it today. We have the great privilege uh, of, of, being, of living in a country with relative peace uh, where our, our citizenship isn't under threat, whether you want to have British citizenship or Irish citizenship, both of them are very secure. But in Paul's day, people took their citizenship very seriously. It would have occupied their thoughts and concerns a lot of the time. The Roman Empire ruled the known world but not everybody had Roman citizenship. Not everyone enjoyed the security and the protection that Roman citizenship provided. Roman citizens for example uh, could not be crucified no matter what crimes they committed. The Roman government refused to uh, carry out that most gruesome form of execution on their own citizens. If a Roman citizen was assaulted, such was the pride and power of Rome, that the perpetrator would be immediately punished. And in some cases, it might even cause a war to break out. Rome might even have gone to war against certain other people groups if their own citizens were attacked. But those rights and protections did not apply to you if you weren't a Roman citizen. You might be living under Rome's power But if you weren't a citizen, you didn't live under Rome's protection. And Paul says that the Gentile Christians, spiritually speaking, had been non-citizens, strangers to God and his people, spiritual refugees outside of God's blessings. And again, I wonder, does that also describe you today? You're not part of the family of God. You're, you're a child of the world as, as it stands today. You don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior. You have, you have no sense of belonging to him and that's because of your sin. Sin separates us to use Paul's language. It separates us from God. It separates us from each other. Ultimately friends, it's sin that leaves us longing for belonging. We've all experienced over this last year and a half separation from loved ones as never before, and no amount of video calls has made up for it. There's nothing worse than feeling disconnected, separated from one another. Well, spiritually speaking, that's exactly what all of us are by nature. Remember, as we studied Genesis earlier this year, we saw how. Uh, when the fall took place, it separated Adam and Eve from God. They were banished from the garden. It also, in a sense, separated them from each other. They blamed each other for the fall. They they, they were no longer able to be together openly. They they clothed themselves. They were ashamed. There was a a breakdown of trust and unity. And Paul says that's, that's the same between us and God, between different people groups, Jews and Gentiles and all other types of people groups. There is alienation there is distrust because of our sin and in particular he says for Gentiles we were outside we were beyond the bounds of God's family that's what we were without Christ but (coughs) but Paul then tells us secondly what Christ has done for us he tells us how Christ has created Christian community look at verse 13 but now in Christ, notice that, but now in Christ Jesus, because he changes everything. Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul saying that Jesus has leveled the playing field, whether you were far, in other words, whether you were Gentile or Jew, the Jews being near, the Gentiles being far. He says, Jesus has leveled the field. He has brought Jew and Gentile together in a new community. How has he done that? Well, he says, verse 13, by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ. The blood shed at the cross does not just cover the sins of Jewish people, it covers the sins of all kinds of people. There isn't one way of salvation for Jews and another for Gentiles there is one Savior, one way for all. Reverend Donnelly, preaching in this passage, said, we all stand level on level ground at the foot of the cross. We all stand on level ground at the foot of the cross. Rich or poor, black or white, Jew or Gentile, unionist or nationalist, whatever label anybody wants to use, what we all have in common is our sin against God. But John the baptizer announced Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of who? Not just Jewish people, but the world. All types of people. Paul says in verse 14 that Jesus' sacrifice, look at verse 14, breaks down the dividing wall that had stood between Jews and Gentiles. Breaks down the dividing wall. We know all about dividing walls in Northern Ireland, don't we? they rather tragically named Peace Walls in Belfast. Uh, They're they're still not all down. And in some cases, even where they have been taken down, it, it did not result in the two sides joining hands and singing Kumbaya on the first night that there was no Peace Wall. Some of you will remember as well that the fall of the Berlin Wall In 1989 that the the dividing line between East and West Berlin uh, really the symbol of the Cold War in Europe but again even when that wall came down it it took a long time for East and West Germany to unite and maybe in some aspects they're still not fully united well the Jews the Jewish people had also put up walls to divide themselves from the non-Jewish world In the time of Jesus, and then of Paul, uh, the temple at Jerusalem, which was built by Herod, wasn't a temple that was actually entirely built at God's direction. It was built by Herod for political reasons. But that temple had several different courtyards. The innermost courtyard was for the Jewish priests only. No one else could go in. Beyond that courtyard was the courtyard for Jewish men. Beyond that courtyard was one for Jewish women. And then outside that was the public area where anybody could come. And between the courtyard of the Jewish women and the general public was a meter and a half high wall. And on that wall, every few paces, this notice was was affixed to the wall. No foreigner may enter within the barrier. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. So the Jews reserved the right to kill you if you trespassed into their temple. The message was clear, you don't belong. You don't have access. We, the Jews, can approach God and worship. We belong with God, you don't. And Paul says Jesus has changed all of that. He's broken down the wall. Maybe some of you remember saying, Uh, The cranes and bulldozers and diggers starting to smash that Berlin Wall to pieces in 1989. Well, picture that imagery. Jesus has broken down every barrier, stopping us from coming to God. Remember how the temple curtain tore in two when Jesus died at the cross. We all stand level at the foot of the cross. Paul says Jesus has done this, verse 15 by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Now, that comes across a little wordy perhaps in the ESV translation. There's a lot we could get into. What Paul's saying really is, Jesus has perfectly kept the law of God. Jesus has perfectly kept the law of God. The Old Testament law had 613 laws. The promise of the Old Testament law was, do these things and you will live. Fail to do these things and you will die. Jesus Christ did them. He kept the law perfectly. And Paul's saying that although we couldn't keep the law because of our sin, now we don't have to. It's no longer our, uh, it's no longer our way to salvation. Our, our relationship with the law has changed. Because we have someone who both perfectly obeyed the law and also was willing to take the punishment for disobeying the law, Christ at the cross. And that is how he has broken down the dividing wall between us and God and between us and other people. Look at verse 16. The result of this is that Jesus, verse 16, might reconcile us both Jew and Gentile to God in one body, that's the church, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, killing the hostility. Uh, Several times in his letters, including in Ephesians, Paul refers to the church as a body. Uh, The picture there being again of something united, bound together. That's what we are as Jews and Gentiles. One body, one church, all with the same status. And so being a Protestant in and of itself, in the nominal way that many people understand it today, is not a way to God. No more than being a Roman Catholic. No more than being middle class or working class. No more than having a first class honours degree from Oxford or only having minimal grades to your name. And God does not look upon us, friends, as the Northern Irish Church or the African Church or the uh, the jewish christians or the chinese christians he doesn't even look upon us primarily as male christians or female christians god looks upon us simply as the church paul says in galatians 3:28 and this is part of your sheet as well boys and girls on the on the crossword side galatians 3:28 there is neither jew nor greek there is neither slave nor free there is no male and female You are all one in Christ Jesus. And that's why Paul says here, Jesus has killed the hostility. There is no reason, no grounds for hostility between Jewish and non-Jewish Christians, between Irish and British Christians, between RP Christians and any other type of Christian. We are all one in Christ Jesus. That is what Jesus has done for us. And then what we are now and what we are now becoming in Christ. So we continue to think about the creation of this Christian community. What we are now becoming in Christ. Again, verse 19, the key verse. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household, or it could be translated family of God. The family of God. Of God our longing for belonging is fulfilled in Christ and in the one body that he has created his church notice how Paul flips everything around in verse 19 you used to be strangers and aliens he says now you're fellow citizens it's like your passport has arrived in the post you used to be far off now you've been brought near you used to be outsiders, now you're inside the family of God. What a wonderful set of blessings we have. All those things that held us back, all those things that, that meant we, we, weren't, uh, we weren't able to access God as, as, as the Jewish people did. They've all gone. We're members of the family of God. I wonder, friends, does this grip our hearts and fill us with the joy that it should that the creator and sustainer of the universe, the one who sent Christ to die in our place for our sin, calls us his son, his child, his family. In his introduction to the book, Tony Moretta tells a story of uh, his adopted son. He and his wife have five adopted children and uh, one of them is called Joshua. And he tells a story of, uh, uh, Joshua was from Ethiopia, adopted from Ethiopia. And he tells the story of how Joshua, at only five years of age, had only been with his family for four months, and uh, they had a, a gathering, I think it was at the Christmas holidays. They went to one of the grandparents' houses, and it was a large extended family, lots of uncles and aunts and cousins gathered together. And Joshua said to his father, Papa, are all these people my family? Are all these people my family? And he says, Yes, son, this is your family. And friends, as we gather into this room or wherever it is that we gather week by week, this is our family. These people, these older men and women, these younger boys and girls, these are our brothers and sisters and our mothers and fathers. And as I mentioned last week, if you were to get on a plane and go to America or Africa or Asia, And within minutes, you could could be meeting someone with a different skin color, speaking a different language, language you might never be able to speak a word of, dressed very differently from you, but who is your brother or sister in the Lord Jesus Christ, a fellow family member. This is what the church is. This is the blessing of being part of the church. People who would do anything for you, People who the minute they, you would need them, they would be there for you. People who pray for you, I trust we're praying for each other day by day and week by week. And for a lot of us in Northern Ireland, perhaps especially in our denomination, the family of God often includes our biological family, our, our immediate family as well. Praise God if it does. And that's the case for many of you here in Drumore. And we rejoice in that and we believe in God's covenant promises that he often uses families, parents training up children to grow his church. But we do need to be careful not to focus only on our biological families, that we take time to maintain and strengthen the bonds we have with our church family. If by grace you've been saved and you've joined the family of God, the local church, other people with different last names from you, what a privilege And if your immediate family is also part of the local church, that's another great privilege. Let's value both. Let's love both and commit to both. We are fellow citizens, members of the family of God. That's what Christ has made us to be. And that's what we're becoming more and more as we learn to love each other and worship together and serve together more. And so that's the creation of the Christian community. Secondly, and this will be more brief as we bring things to a close, we want to think about the purpose of the Christian community. The purpose of the Christian community. We've seen how God has created it through Christ. Why has he created it? Belonging to the family of God, I hope, is a joy for us. It should be a joy for us. It, it fulfills that longing for Belonging. But what is the ultimate purpose of the Christian community? Why has God through Christ created it? Well, the answer comes further on in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter three, uh, and if you look at verse nine with me, we don't have time to get into this in too much depth, but if you just look at Ephesians three, verse nine, Paul says, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things so that, here's the purpose, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to rulers and authorities in in the heavenly places. The word manifold there is hard to capture in English, but we might say, the many different aspects of the wisdom of God, the multifaceted wisdom of God. Paul saying the church exists to draw attention to the manifold wisdom of God. Imagine holding up a huge diamond, holding it up to the light. And it's so beautiful and so stunning that you just keep turning it and turning it, trying to uh, take in all of its sparkle, all the different angles, all the colors. Well, Paul says that's what the church is supposed to be doing. It's supposed to be shining a light on the, the wisdom and the goodness and the grace and the sovereignty and the holiness of God. The church is supposed to help the world, even in some measure, take in the, the manifold, the many aspects of the greatness of our God. Paul says this wisdom, this manifold wisdom of God is being displayed to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Who are these rulers and authorities? Well, what this, there's a bit of debate amongst commentators as to exactly who Paul's talking about here. What that most likely is referring to is the spiritual enemies of God, Satan and demons. Paul elsewhere refers to Satan as the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this world. Uh, And so that's most likely who he's talking about here. Paul is saying that when our spiritual enemies, Satan and demons, when they look at the church and when they look at what God has done for the church and through the church, they are stunned. And they know deep down that they are defeated. That no matter what they try, God has saved these people. He has brought these people who were divided against each other hostile towards one another. He has brought them together as different as they are, as hostile as once they were. God has made them a family singing his praises. That stuns the spiritual forces at work in our world. Peter in his letter says that even angels long to understand what God has done for human beings in Christ. Satan and demons look on at the church, friends, aghast and shocked. Tony Morita says in his book, there is more going on with the church than meets the eye. If you're part of the church, then you're part of a cosmic sermon. I love that description. You're part of a cosmic sermon that is being preached to spiritual rulers and authorities. As mighty and monstrous, friends, as the enemies of the church have sometimes seemed, all through history, the church has made it. The church has always made it. She made it through the early days of Roman persecution, even when some of her leaders were fed to lions. She made it through the dark days of the Roman church, exerting its power in, the, in medieval Europe. Today, in the vast land of China, 70 years after the last Western missionary was kicked out by the communists, There are millions more Chinese Christians than there have ever been. Small, struggling, sometimes silly, sometimes shaky. The church is nonetheless the family of God and he will never abandon his family. And we exist to display together the manifold love, wisdom, wisdom, goodness and grace of God in this needy world. God through Christ has created a community that can satisfy the human longing for belonging. Satisfy it in a way that no man-made community ever can because only in the church, the family of God, do we know that our very souls are taken care of, that our sin is forgiven, that death is defeated. Nothing else can unite human beings with something to celebrate and proclaim and experience together, like the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, when that truth captivates us and delights us and excites us as it should, needy sinners will want to join with us because they'll be hearing from us and they'll be seeing in us the joy that we have in being part of God's family Sometimes the biggest obstacles to evangelism aren't outside the church, they're in the church because we don't appreciate what we have and we're not invigorated by it and we're not talking about it. If people don't look at us and see a happy, united, excited community, why would they want to join with us? But if they do see us happy, united and excited about what Christ has done for us, at the very least, questions will be asked Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said the greatest need of the hour is a revived and joyful church. A revived and joyful church. Unhappy Christians, he says, are a poor recommendation for the faith. He's not talking about Christians just pretending like we don't have the same types of problems as everybody else, work problems, family challenges, griefs, physical pains. But you know what he's saying? We should be joyful in christ and that joy should be seen for everyone else how can we be unhappy when we realize what christ has done for us how can we feel to join together and worship together and fellowship together when we realize what we share in christ you were separated from christ paul says alienated from the commonwealth of israel strangers to the covenants of promise but now in christ jesus who has broken down the dividing wall of hostility, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but members of God's family. Friends, may we cherish our place in God's family. And as we do so, may we pray that others looking on will see a place where their longing for belonging can finally be satisfied. Amen.